seated. And I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 13. I'll be reading verses 1 through 7, uh, Romans uh, chapter 13, as we zip our way through this lovely book. Romans 13. And be considering, uh, considering this question, why is obedience to the civil government so important? Uh, why, why is it so, why, what is the, the significance of this text and, uh, as we consider uh, God's word? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those who, that exist uh, have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the evildoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. This is God's word. A very important passage. But why? What is the significance and meaning for it? It is so sweeping, there appear to be no exceptions. Every person is to be subject to governing authorities. No authority exists but that which is instituted by God. Whoever resists authority is resisting God. Why is this so important? Before we get into the details of the text, I want to mention uh, three things, introductory points, to help us sort of set the stage here. And the first is that we are loyal to two kingdoms. Ever since St. Augustine, in in his huge and important book, The City of God, we have understood that there is an earthly city. It is the city of man. Uh, it, is, it includes the culture that we see around us. It includes um, government as well that is designed uh, to, uh, to establish laws and to punish those who are disobedient. And yet throughout history, God has also been building up another city, a new city, uh, the church, which will one day eventually end up in heaven, or rather heaven will come down to the new earth. Uh, Calvin put it this way, that there is a twofold government, uh, a spiritual kingdom, but also civil power. And these two are separate, uh, yet even unbelievers can rule the city of man in a just way because God's law has been put in their heart. They are therefore to be respected. They are therefore to be honored. And yet, some people say, well, I belong to that kingdom 
the kingdom of heaven, the city of God, so I don't have to obey the rules, the laws of the city of man. Uh, Some people take this to the extreme of not being willing to pay taxes, so they withhold their taxes and they say, it's all going to burn up anyway. And then they say, I'm out of here soon enough. And then they, they pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Take me out of this place. And yet, Paul tells us uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. We don't want to think that way. The second thing is, it's important for us uh, to consider our reputation before the world. Reputation is important. You may recall from a couple of years ago when we were looking at the early parts of this, of this letter that the Emperor Claudius uh, commanded at one point all Jews to leave Rome. There had been uh, differences, difficulties, tensions among Jewry, as it would have been known, which would have included Christians as a subset of the Jewish people. Uh, 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 Suetonius, a historian who wrote a book called The Life of Claudius, uh, really gives some insight into this. And it says that the Jews uh, were rioting in and around Rome because there was someone named Crestus that was stirring them up. Paul is concerned about the reputation of Christians because they were rioting, or at least they were considered to have been rioting as they were in that group of Jews. But in any case, it seemed to be stirred up by Crestus, by by Jesus Christ himself. The thought would have gone this way as well in the minds of the Romans. This is the, the leader of this sect was put to death by the Romans as a common criminal, and it seems like all of his followers are just the same. They're all a bunch of criminals. It's that bad seed. They're always fighting. So Paul says reputation is important. The message we convey by the way that we act is important to the world, for the world to see. And we think of this now in our day uh, as churches are, are preparing to open. Some have opened, some with adequate, others with inadequate preparation. We hear of churches where one person comes in, presumably effect, infecting 12 more, which then s- spreads out into the community and that, that community infection. We hear responses to such things, people calling these Christian fools, others who would, would say they're testing God. I am concerned as well uh, when I look through um, Facebook postings, for example, and see a clear picture of some Christians whose anger is heated up in their rhetoric. Some will vilify President Trump. Others will vilify Dr. Fauci. In our state, some will vilify Governor Murphy or other Christians painting others with a broad brush and just, and just condemning them. Republicans don't care about old people. Democrats don't care about the economy. And political fault lines show up and people respond to each other in crass and frankly evil ways. Don't be conformed to this world, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. 
And so we are to be loyal to both kingdoms, the kingdom over which Jesus is the head and the kingdom also of this world. We are to be concerned about our reputation before other people. And and finally, it's important to remember and see the weight that Paul puts in this passage on submission to authority. Being treated fairly is not our highest kingdom priority. And I get some of these thoughts from uh, John Piper's commentary on Romans. Being Being treated fairly isn't our highest kingdom priority. Instead, being humble, denying ourselves, trusting in Christ to provide and care for us. All of those higher kingdom values than preserving your civil liberties. In fact, Paul risks being misunderstood on the side of submission in this text. Because he would see that pride is our greater problem. Greater than even government injustice. He couldn't write this passage um, if the ultimate value that we held would be being treated fairly by the government. Instead, it is faith. It is a readiness even to suffer for Christ. That's the main thing. It is an act, it is a heart of humility, a heart of self-denial that is a higher value than being treated well by the government. Well, let's then, and I'll, I will be looking at only, only part of this section um, this morning, but I want to look at two points, two things that we should be known for. Um, we should be known for our civil obedience. We should be known for our civil obedience. We should be known for our respect for authority. Those are two things that I want you to hold up as values that we want to to pursue as we live in this world. We should be known, first of all, for our civil obedience, not civil disobedience. All authority, as we've said, verse 1, comes from God. Thomas Paine uh, wrote this. He said, government even in its best state, is but a necessary evil in its worst state, an intolerable one. God says all authority is from Him. And no authority except what is from God. So, so um, those that exist, those authorities that exist, whether it is a republic, whether it is a monarchy, and if you can even if you can stand this thought, whether it is whether it is a, a, a government set up by a coup, all have been instituted by God, instituted by our sovereign God who knows what He's doing, and, and we, He sometimes raises up good government and blesses the church by it. Now, if I could uh, display my, um, my U.S. citizenship and Presbyterian cards here for a moment, uh, we would acknowledge that uh, Calvin's Presbyterianism um, shaped even the forming of our own nation and was behind many of the thoughts of the U.S. Constitution in its representative government. 
And, and we are, are thankful for the Bill of Rights. We are thankful for the First Amendment. It is beautiful that there is no law, uh, the government is to uh, enact no law to establish religion or uh, prohibit the free exercise thereof. And the church certainly has profited under that good and wise government that was set up. We thank God for that. But sometimes God raises up evil government and blesses the church despite it. God's in authority. God has all authority and sovereignty. Uh, Missionaries at at, at one point, a hundred or so years ago, were forced from China. Uh, All Western uh, missionaries were exited from China, and there was great fear among many that they would leave behind a church that would... It would eventually die out and be um, be extinguished. Uh, there were around uh, eight million Christians considered at that time, and um, and before uh, too many years had gone by, that number had had swelled to around a hundred million and more than that right now. And it is said that by the year 2030, that China will have more Christians than any other nation. The government which has tried to squelch and destroy Christianity has instead caused it to go underground where people are meeting in many small groups, uh, mobile, supple small groups in communities and, and people are being drawn into the church and drawn to Christ in remarkable ways despite the communist government. And sometimes God raises up evil government to chasten the church by it. And I wonder if that is something of what is going on today in our own country. Uh, We uh, have had in our government many initiatives, ongoing initiatives, to aggressively silence the testimony of the church and to demonize that which is godly and that which is appropriate, that which is in keeping with our, our created status as image bearers of God in areas of sexuality, in areas of human life. We are perhaps being chastened by our present government and may God strengthen us through it. Well, we are to respect then uh, the authority that God has set up because it is under, under God's authority and that contains the notion of order. God's order as he set up society on many levels, church, home, school, um, uh, family, um, and God has an authority there. God doesn't want children, for example, breaking this to you, young ones, God does not want children to run the household, but to respect and honor their parents. God does not want wives uh, to seek to control their husbands, but to live truthfully and submissively before them. Church members are not to dictate to church officers Citizens are not to riot in the streets, even if they have been, um, even if they have been attacked, and in the case uh, of Mr. Floyd, um, murdered by one, two rotten eggs, rotten apples in the bunch. We can understand the outrage of these individuals, but. Still, we cannot condone it. God has given the government, the civil government, as a divine ordinance. 
like he has given us marriage, like he has given us Sabbath. And we are to obey in all ordinary circumstances, all ordinary circumstances. And the question immediately comes up, what if the state commands you to disobey God's commands? Well, then resistance to ungodly demands is your Christian duty. We'll get back to that in a moment. Verse 2 goes on to say, though, if you resist God's authority, you will, you will pay for it. Uh, if whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. No doubt that refers to, in the first case, it recur- refers to the government's authority, God-given authority, the authority of the sword to punish evil doers. And this is in sharp contrast, of course, with chapter 12, verse 19, where it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So when you have personal offenses against you or against a family member, you want to inflict pain, you want to get back. God says there is no place for that, for those personal offenses. There is no place for vigilante justice. And so we are, in the case of real crimes, to trust God, uh, who, uh, through the state, which passes laws and applies the force of the government by the sword against those who break that law. To resist the state's lawful demands is to resist God's authority. It is also the obligation for Christians to call out the state in the case of injustice. Many of us have done this multiple times uh, in the support of the pro-life movement. And uh, many of us have gone down, I certainly did uh, far more often when I lived in Maryland, uh, protesting uh, Roe v. Wade. Uh, And ever since then, the March 22nd Marches for Life in Washington, D.C., those were, were uniformly peaceful demonstrations. There was a genteel quality to, to that march, and it was in sharp contrast with some, with some of the pro-abortion counter-demonstrators who would ring, uh, have few patches of people along the side of the street. It's an obligation for Christians to call out the state in the case of injustice. We are certainly um, we are certainly aggrieved by the over aggressive policing in the case of George Floyd, and there is a proper there is an appropriate place for the peaceful marches that convey that message: "I can't breathe." There is a, a place appropriate for that, but it is a grievous thing that. Um, Some of those marches have given way to violence and to vandalism. This is what we pray for. We pray that the courts um, would deal appropriately with the officer charged on this third-degree murder offense, and that, in fact, the courts would bring all murderers uh, to justice, to accountability. But it is the court's job to do that. We pray for them. 
Secondly, we should also be known uh, for our respect for authority. And we see this in verses 5 through 7, and I can't even get into all of this at, right, at this time, but uh, we, we, we should be known for our respect. Let's look at verse 7 with me. Uh, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Verse 5, however, carries the burden with it uh, to, um, to respect authority, um, above all, to keep your conscience clear. Now, what's going on there? What is Paul saying there? He's saying you don't obey simply in order to protect yourself from receiving the sword. That's a legitimate um, deterrent to, to want to avoid uh, punishment. But there is a more powerful and a deeper and more appropriate spirit-led motivation than that. And that is simply to honor your own conduct, keep your own conscience. Look, look with me. Consider, consider what Paul says elsewhere. The aim of this command is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Love from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. And we look at where this passage, Romans 13, is placed in its immediate context in Romans. Chapter 12 speaks between verses 9 and and, uh, 21 are all about what does love look like? How how can love be genuine and sincere? Fight for that. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, and so forth. Love must be sincere. And then chapter 13, verse 8 opens up. uh, You don't owe anyone anything except to love them. And love itself, we'll see in verse 10, is the fulfillment of the law. So on both sides, this command is bracketed with a call to genuine and thoroughgoing love. What's going on here then? That submitting to authority is, is a huge way that you express love to God. Genuinely love to God. When we think about government, listen, you don't get a pass just because you may have voted for the other guy or gal. It doesn't give you license then to disregard what your governor is saying out of love to God and a pure conscience. What is the deterrent um, when you find yourself speeding on our little country roads here? The deterrent for most of you, I suspect, is, is the whirring of the lights and the sound of the siren behind you. That's the deterrent. That will not deter you at all points, will it? It hasn't yet, will it? Or does it? Instead, it is a conscience before God that God is giving us his will through the civil magistrates whom we now respect with a good conscience. The conscience being, of course, the courtroom of your soul and the weight of being under God because it is the right thing to do. There's a weightiness, a weightiness to that. Well, how has repeated disobedience hardened your conscience? In what, what choices have you made to disobey the law and now after all of these months or years your conscience is simply hardened to it? You're unmoved, unmoved. How has your disobedience quieted the voice of God so that your conscience is not responding to your duty?
Well, I want to consider as well that our conscience may then also require us, instead of obedience, it may require disobedience to the civil authority. Pastor uh, Nee Moller uh, was uh, preaching God's word uh, in Germany at a time when, uh, when Germany was darkened by uh, national socialism. He was preaching the obligation of humility before the Lord rather than, uh, than Hitler and following the Lord in your conscience particularly in areas of preserving the life of those who are being persecuted and even killed. So he was sent to prison. And, uh, and a somewhat obtuse chaplain asked him this question, why are you in prison? And can you imagine Pastor Niemöller's response? Why are you not imprisoned? Uh, We have a a joyful duty to gather for worship. We have a joyful duty to gather to worship, to honor the Lord, um, and also to love our brothers and sisters, to care for them, to encourage them, to embrace them, to to support them with our words and and, and our encouragement. On the other hand, we are to respect uh, our governor, respect the civil government, and in particular in New Jersey, Governor Murphy's executive orders. Uh, that are designed and appropriately designed to protect the public from this, from this, uh, this virus. So the question, one of the questions that uh, comes across, uh, comes to our minds, uh, is it ever right to practice civil obedience, civil disobedience, uh, and open a church up before the governor says you can? Is it, ever, is it ever right or okay to practice that civil disobedience and to gather um, even outside the church before we're permitted inside in groups of more than 25? When is that right to do? How is that right to do? Well, I want to, I want to just look for a moment at, at four different phrases from, second, from 1 Peter 2.17. Remember the commands there, honor... Everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. That about sums it up, doesn't it? What does it mean then? Let's, let's unpack that. What does that mean for us, to, to honor everyone? It certainly means that there are, are, includes or infers because of the fact that there are varying levels of vulnerability among people. Varying levels. Some, due to age or disease, are particularly susceptible to the virus. To honor everyone in this case is to bend over backwards to defer to those with more, who are more strict about their, about their adherence to these guidelines than we may even be comfortable with. Bend over backwards to defer. Honor everyone. Not just the governor, but honor the people here in our fellowship. When we open up, you may be required to do some things that you would, required by love, by honor, to do some things that you maybe wouldn't naturally do. Honor everyone. The second thing is love the brotherhood. We have been, to this time, loving one another by remaining distant. And that, that 
tears at us. That it is so counterintuitive. It's so it doesn't fit with our Christian calling. It's just awkward. It's just, and we wonder how long does this have to go on? Well, can't answer that one right now. Pray for us. Pray for us, please, as those decisions are discussed. But one very simple thing is that is that, um, I, and I I say this. I say this with respect and love for each one of you, uh, but it is, it is, we may feel irritated by the call to wear a mask around those outside our family. We might be irritated by that. Love the brotherhood. That means, as we have been told many, many times, you wear cloth masks for them and not yourself. In some way, which I don't even understand, the, the, the mask over your mouth uh, preserves those around you, or at least improves the chances that those around you will not uh, catch the virus. So it is a loving thing. The goal in such things, and other behaviors as well, you work it out, we'll have to work all this out, but the goal is not endanger them but instead think of how can I love them. It's awkward, uncomfortable, it's not nice, it's just not a fun thing to do, but could it be that is what God is calling us to do at this time? The third thing is fear God. Um, Fear God um, for conscience' sake. Worship is essential, he tells us. Worship is essential. We have to consider how to get back to public worship as quickly and as safely as is appropriate, while at the same time honoring the king. And here's another, another problem for us. Which one? The big one in D.C. or the little one in Trenton? Honor the king. Ah! How much help is that? Uh, this is particularly brought to us by the by the fact that uh, there is um, we, we we recently uh, someone wrote a letter to the clerk of our presbytery saying if anybody's got any bright ideas or has plans about opening up let's all send them to the clerk and the clerk can send those plans around to everybody so so we're start I think this week I got I got um, I don't know three or four different opening plans plans to open up from various churches um, one nearby church. Uh, is opening up next week. Uh, plans are to open June 7th indoors. And the argument was given in compliance with the president's declaration, yet in defiance of the governor's order. They'll be meeting, they'll be meeting inside. Okay. That's one church. Another church is saying, another OP church from North Jersey is saying, we can't open uh, because the 25 limit, uh, person limit would, would keep uh, many from being able to worship outdoors with us. And so what is the, he says, pray, pray, pray for us. You see all these, all these, the, the tensions and the call, the need for wisdom that we have. Let us, let us pray. Let us pray. Uh, let us pray as well uh, that we would be those who respect our civil authorities as God's servants. I want to just end, end with this point. As God's servants, that that word there is uh, diakonos, God's servant. Our elected officials are God's deacons over the community of, of New Jersey and the United States. 
And then in verse 6, the language is even stronger. That word ministers is, is it's the Greek word that, from which we get the word liturgy. It, it's a, it's a, a word that conveys a religious response. Our, we, have, we have ministers in, in this city of man to whom we owe religious submission. We must respect them because they work for God. There is a straight line from God to your tax man to you paying taxes. There's a straight line there. And so, of course, we don't fudge on our taxes. It's to disrespect God. Of course, we must be very careful about the way we open up because we we don't want to disrespect those whom God has appointed. We are to respect. Respect and honor is required and, and it is not because of their persons. It is not because of personal qualities or characteristics. It is because of the office. Uh, thinking about this this week, I'm sure half of the people in this country have very well near hated uh, each of the last four presidents. Different halves or different presidents, that's not what I'm saying. But, but, but we are a people who have so politicized our our, our posture has become so politicized that it's, we have come to hate. We have come to hate. We may not like a government official, but we must pray. Well, towards the end of his life, W.C. Fields was reading his Bible, if you can imagine, and a friend said, what in the world are you doing, W.C.? Why are you reading your Bible? And this is what he said, looking for loopholes. Looking for loopholes. And as we are the, hear this call to respect our governors, there are no loopholes. Let us respect. Let us obey whenever possible and resist with respect where we must, but in all cases pray for them. As Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, pray for kings in high places that we may live quiet and godly lives. Let us pray. God and Father, uh, we adore you. Uh, we humble ourselves before you because you have, um, have, have, have um, rescued us from the darkness of this world and brought us into the city uh, of God. A city ruled by a gentle Savior who won our salvation through his death on the cross and who calls us then to put our trust in him and to live in a way that even engages us in human suffering. And so we pray that you would bless each of us as we wrestle through these things to be men and women and boys and girls of humility, to be willing to suffer for Jesus and not to demand our own way. So we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.